And we're back on What the Funk, a little Friday recording here, a beautiful autumn day in early November, finally developing a little bit of a routine again, getting back behind the microphone, and really excited to have Maxie Reynolds on the podcast today. She was introduced to me through the Digital Wildcatters Network, um, has a fantastic accent and a good story, and we're going to jump into all of that today. Um works for a company called Subsea Cloud. We'll talk all about that. It works in a number of different industries, including oil and gas, so super relevant for the listeners of this podcast. So, Maxie, I kind of gave you the high-level background. We want to focus on the, you know, you personally and then talk about your organization and and all that fun stuff. But a question I always ask to everybody that comes on the podcast, who are you? Who is Maxie Reynolds? (laughs) I don't like it. Um, okay, so I suppose like I don't want to get into a philosophical debate, but I ha- <laughs> like I have to start out by saying that there is like there is a gap between who I think I am and you know how I present myself and who you think I am and who you see. Oh. I think that's true for everyone. Like I, I truly believe that. You know, we, I think we all think that we are sort of presenting ourselves in a certain way or that we carry ourselves in a certain way and that our behavior and eccentricities are obvious, but they aren't. And you, you can see it when you flip it around. Um, when it comes to like your perception of other people, you only see the outcome. You're, you're left to rationalize their behavior. Mm. So who I think I am may not matter. It truly only matters who, like, who you think I am. But to answer the question and with that in mind to answer the question I think I am one of the luckiest sort of people in in the world like I have to be and I don't mean luck in some sort of divine sense um, but in terms of just chance and random alley um, and we can talk about that versus skill because it's an important point if we're gonna if we're gonna look at who I am through this lens but um, I grew up in Scotland. I um, was born, I guess, the right time, you know, to be a female in the world today. Hmm. At this point in time, is pure luck. I had no skill. There's nothing I've done to deserve being able to start a business today, being able to like grow, being able to sort of flourish around that. There's no, there's no skill there. That's all luck. Um, so I, I think thought of that way, I'm just, I'm a very lucky person with some skill. That's the best summary I have of myself. She's a lucky Scottish lass. That's, <laughs> yeah, there that's we where, go. That's where, we're, <laughs> that's where we're starting this. Interesting. I mean, so there's, yeah. you know, I, we'll get into more details, but yeah. um, we can get philosophical on, on what the funk. That, that's not an issue for me whatsoever. <laughs> Um, I, I like I like the way that you presented that, and a, a phrase that I like to use is "perception is reality." Right. So, how I perceive you, um, having only talked a couple of times and and looking at your LinkedIn page or your website, mm-hmm. I've already formed a certain opinion of you, yeah. and you've already changed that a little bit with how you just presented yourself and and how you feel you're lucky and, and your position in the world. But I mean, perception is is reality. Correct. Marketing is so powerful, I think, in the universe today because um, you could take something that's very small and make it seem really big. 
Um, mm-hmm. and something that I've actually noticed with with Funk Futures with my business, which is still a pretty small business, it's been growing pretty steadily over the three years that we've been in business. But I remember early on, I I started putting out press releases and and still do, but it was sort of like, yeah. you know making it look really official. And some people sort of laughed at it and they're just like, yeah. why do you, why do you do these press releases? I'm like, well, because I think that it elicits a certain sense of like seriousness or professionalism. Yeah. And then you go to a conference or a networking event, people are like, Oh dude, you're out here killing it. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, that's your perception, right? Yeah, you you exactly. might not know what's really going <laughs> on behind the scenes, but what you see is, man, Funk Futures just added another client. They just went into yeah. a different industry. They just started a recruiting practice, whatever it is. And to them, it's like, man, you're really, you're really doing big things. And to me, it's just like, I mean, a, a lot of people, a lot of companies are doing big things. Maybe they're just not talking about it in the same light. Correct. So it's always been important yeah. for me to create a perception that then becomes somebody else's reality. Yeah, it works both ways. You can be doing a lot behind the scenes and saying nothing. Like it really does work both ways. I I kind of enjoy that aspect of life. I enjoy thinking about it because you can't be right or wrong. <laughs> like you know when you're guessing for other people, so it just becomes this thought exercise and I actually really enjoy that too. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> to, to, so we, you jumped on this morning and, and I asked you what time it was, thinking that you were somewhere in the UK or in Europe yeah. overseas. And you go, oh, it's it's nine. And I go, oh, sorry, we're doing this so late. You yeah, go, no, yeah. it's, nine in, it's nine in the morning. I'm in California. Yeah. I'm like, well, I'm in Colorado. That's easy. My sales guy's yeah. in, in California. So take me through the story. How did a, a young uh, Scottish lady end up uh, <laughs> not only running a business, but but somewhere in California? Yeah. So, okay, let's, let's sort of uh, back into this. So I love California, a uh, little expensive, but I actually do. For I real. like to be here. <laughs> I'm like so bad. I will be bankrupt by the end of the week <laughs> if I buy one more coffee. Like it's, it's, it's not ideal, but it is a sort of a, it's sort of a good place um, for what I like in life and for what I care about in life. So there's that. Then how did I get here? So... I, okay, if you, um, let me think about this. So when I was very young, like child, for, for, for the earliest memories I have of myself, I absolutely wanted to be on the move. Like I couldn't wait to, to, you know, get my first bike, to get my first car, to like mm. travel. I've always just had that bug. Um, and I got to, I moved out of my mum's house like quite young about 15 so you know early in life and that sort of put the kibosh on my I guess potential at the time because I was just a scallywag is that I don't know if that's an American word I I was a social nuisance for, for four <laughs> or five years after that I just I didn't have my head screwed on right I was sort of rebelling um, I didn't enjoy my mother's parenting style, um, <laughs> so all these sort of things. And so I wanted to be an adult, and I got to taste what that is like. If you're not going to do that well, if you're going to be a shitty adult, if you're going to make some, you know, choices that you just you wouldn't want for your own children, if you, you know, benefit mm. hindsight. So I kind of had that, and then I re-remembered that I wanted to travel. 
because life was getting harder and harder. And at 18, 19, life shouldn't be hard. It really shouldn't. You, you know, you chemically it's hard, brain chemically it's hard, yeah. but it shouldn't actually be hard. So I started looking for ways to travel and my granddad worked offshore. And so I sort of knew about that industry and my stepdad, um, or, or really just dad, worked offshore too. And so I went to him. Um, my mom and dad had broken up at the time. And I went to him and I said, could you help me get a job offshore? And he said, no. And I don't know, but if he'd have just said yes and tried and it didn't work out, I might have taken a different path. But sure. he said no, and I'm so stubborn. And it's a trait. It's a it's a bug and a feature in my life to today. Like I'm so stubborn. It's criminal so um he said no and i thought okay well fuck you i'll i'll do it anyway and eventually cut two i i i get offshore and i go to work for a for a norwegian company and they took me everywhere with them um so we went i went to norway i left scotland sort of 1920 went to norway went to then venezuela trinidad tobago um nigeria bulgaria like every place and it was just fun it was absolutely the best time of my life no responsibilities Love high it. pay i loved it it was so good and you know we're working on mainly vessels some oil rigs and things like that so that's was sort of that and then we were doing a lot of work in venezuela and i did not want to live there because i i had the sense of adventure but i also like wasn't willing to die for that sense of adventure so Fair enough. we came thank you yeah it was like a brilliant thought of mine um we came to miami and i was like oh kind of don't like it here either but i kind of like america and this is nearly 15 years ago now and so sort of closed my eyes pointed to the map and i looked like okay well let's go to california so mm. came here and then i was starting to you know after a few years of working offshore um, the day started to drop for me. So um, it's sort of like crude to, to talk about money, but let's just do it anyway. So when growing up for me and still for a lot of my friends today, they earn on average about $15,000 per year. That's with 15, like one five. One five in yeah. Scotland. Like it's, you know, we don't earn a lot of money. We're, we're, there's some poverty within that country. Sure. Um, and so I had started, I'd walked into this job and I was earning $14,000 a month. And like, that's, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a clue what designer things were. I didn't, I didn't know how to spend that money. So I, it stayed in my bank because I, I didn't care about nice hotels. I, there was just no place to spend it. And I've actually still got some of it. So I, um, I'll take, I'll take some if you're, I mean, if, uh, you're, yeah. if you're willing <laughs> well, with inflation, uh, <laughs> yeah, rich, right. I can afford coffee. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I then sort of, I done a few things. I went to work in stunts for a little while in California because I live in Los Angeles and that's the industry. Well, it's part of the industry. I've done that, but I also had these long distance degrees from working offshore for, you know, all those years, close to a decade. Um, so I ended up with a job in Australia, uh, in cybersecurity and then came back to America cause my visa had run out and they were like, no, you cannot stay here. Um, came back and then worked in what's called red teaming, social engineering, red teaming. And that is where perception matters most because 
you're breaking in, physically breaking into buildings. Like that's the job. Hmm. Because I can logically hack into a computer, right? Like, well, not no problem, but it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. And if I can just gain access to your physical server, it doesn't matter how good your software is or how good your, your digital defenses are. Like, how are you defending your actual physical assets? Mm-hmm. And so we were breaking into different buildings, government buildings, and those people have guns, by the way. Um, no surprise. Not a fun. Not a fun. <laughs> um, so we were sort of, yeah, I, I'd done that. And then there was this sort of, again, this is, there's a little bit of skill here, but the role of luck plays a, a really big part in this. So I, we were breaking into data centers, really good physical activity for them to undertake um, to see how secure they are. And I just had a very simple thought, like, if you want to keep them safe, put them underwater. And it wasn't, it was simplistic. It wasn't any more like brilliant than that. Hmm. And so I was one of, I'm like one of the few people on earth and I'm not being like hyperbolic or uppity or egotistical. Like I just happened to be one of the few people on earth with a cybersecurity background plus a subsea engineering background. <laughs> Probably. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like there's not many of that. So so then I went to um someone I'd worked for before and said, like, what do you think? And he's like, uh first of all, I had this idea. I'm pretty sure I told you about it. And I was like, well, no, but okay, like I'll accept if you help me. Um and then he helped me, he tweaked the design and he's he's involved with the company today. So that's kind of from you know then to now whoa okay so <laughs> all right a couple things well first okay. of all you you mentioned the term scallywag fairly certain that this is the first time on the 150 or whatever podcast that i've done that somebody used the word scallywag but i like it i'm into it all right we'll keep um, it. i also the how do you keep something safe right <clears throat> let's drop it to the bottom of the ocean like what what an insane but also sort of logical concept so, um but don't when like but how does nope. that work because doesn't technology break when it gets deep in the water like how, how, does, how does everything break no matter yeah. where you put it well, well i got so, a cell phone right here if i drop it in the water i gotta put it in rice all weekend right so. <laughs> oh the, yes try that um here's so so let's back up one, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. For As sure. an astronaut, maybe I'd be like, oh, let's put them in space. Right, right, like, yeah, yeah, let's put it on the moon. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and by the way, that will happen. Yeah. And by the way, it's a lot easier to get things into space. Well, not to get them into space, but to operate things in space than it is to do it underwater. Like a lot. And we can come to that in a little while, but like, it's a lot easier. Wow. They just have more um, electrical outlets on the moon than they do uh, yeah. underwater. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we are going to mine the moon for something called helium-3 that like we have on Earth, but the atmosphere keeps it out. It's prevalent in the sun, so the moon gets blasted with it. So huh. we will mine it, and we'll bring it back to Earth, and we'll use it for energy production here. So technically speaking, the moon like does hold some answers. Um, okay, so that's kind of, again, that's how this happened, right? I am a hammer the ocean is the nail. I'm like, chuck it in, like, let's go. So there's that. Then um, what was the second part? 
you said, oh, it doesn't take an algae break. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's so, water. So, you know what's so interesting about our solution? And actually, Microsoft has done a similar thing, and we can come to the differences engineering wise on, on those, on the two uh, solutions here. But when you take away like corrosive materials, so for, so for Microsoft, yeah. they pump in nitrogen. It's non-corrosive, so it's really good for the hardware. We put in a fluid, it's non-corrosive, it's really yeah. good for the hardware. There's no dust, there's no debris, there's no hotspots. It's really good for the hardware. So actually, when you have something in an optimal or an optimized environment, the maintenance windows are like lengthened, so to speak. So we, we see one-eighth the, the requirements for, for maintenance. So yes, things will break. We've got a few options if they do break. You know, we can go down there with our ROV, um, yeah. bring it back up. We can fail in place and um, like uh, allocate to a different stack, server stack. Like there's ways around it. It's just problem yeah. solving. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess the concept of disaster recovery, right? You, you have yeah. various other locations that you can you can connect or back up data Correct. to. Yeah. Um, so, so tell me like th this whole, like, so subsea cloud, right? This, yeah. this is your company, um, yeah. super innovative. And, and I can see where th this, you know, hammer nail brainchild of <laughs> yours, um, turned, turned into a reality. So like, how do you get your business? How do you say, okay, we have a concept where we're going to basically store your data and we're yeah. going to put it in the bottom of the ocean. Like, how do you get your business? And then where do you actually put these physical, um, cloud servers like where in the yeah. ocean are they sitting right now all right so let's start with the last one first because it's a okay. lot easier to answer okay so we put them into rivers ports dams and then further offshore which is sort of um, a good segue into well how do you actually work with oil and gas companies um so if a company uh, has a large suite of subsea assets we will co-locate with those assets right regs even pipelines like it's all it's all about permitting really um so that's kind of how we come to work with most oil and gas uh asset owners or even like operators and we aim basically to promote the longevity of those past investments for them by buying or renting the sites from them or co-locating with them okay so, so then you so then you would like a, an ideal target for you would be somebody who drills offshore, right? They already yeah. have plat platforms out there. They're already producing yeah. massive oil, oil wells. Yeah. They've got a zone. They've already got the permitting taken yeah. care of. And now you're saying, okay. And also we can add this feature, right? Yeah. To what you guys are already doing and bring additional value where, where you oh, yeah. already have all the, the, the complicated stuff out of the way. This is simple. Yeah, it's, it's mutually beneficial in, in a few ways. So one, carbon credits. We co-locate beside you and you don't use us. Fine, let us pay you in carbon credits, which have nice. become important to, to the asset owners. Um, also, we need to fiberize rigs and we need data centers there because you know there's no redundancy on a rig. We want to be processing the data in real time. Even in cybersecurity, we know that it is a huge problem that the legacy systems aren't easily secured. And that's a huge problem for, like, not to like scaremonger, but for terrorist attacks. It's, in, it's maybe a one in a sure. trillion chance, or, uh, sure. you know, I'm making up the numbers, but 
these things happen and we do have to protect against them or just failures, just the normal failures. But we've got components offshore that last for 25 years. It's really hard to economically say, let's uh, swap all those out just so we can get some cybersecurity in here because sure. most people don't really understand cybersecurity and what could happen if you don't. So we've got that problem. And ultimately, real-time data, it becomes very important to Rick. So there's that. And then a lot of oil companies now have wind farm developments, and then we want to co-locate with them. So that's kind of how we how we work with them. And then you asked, um, how does this happen? So we, you know, we go to people and say, you're a cloud provider. Mm-hmm. Here's what we offer. So we cut your capex and your opex. Um, and we're really good for the environment. And sometimes it works. And sometimes we run into what's called basically the innovator's dilemma. I'm not entirely sure if that's like a common uh, principle that you guys talk about. But basically the, innovators, the innovator's dilemma is or it asserts that maturing and legacy companies tend to strive for this incremental improvement in their products and their operations. And they optimize uh, their existing customer base based on what they've done before. But we all know the the past isn't really indicative of the future. It it will change. So we kind of run into that a lot. And then also, you know, we're optimizing for shareholders who sort of think in quarters, fiscal quarters and not long term. So we do run into that, but typically we go to cloud providers and we say, hey, we put data centers underwater. Here's what your maintenance will look like. Here's what your costs will look like. Here's what your latency will look like. Hmm. What do you think? And then there's a, there's a long conversation. It's a very long sales cycle. And then we'll test. So that's kind of where we are just now. We're We're not... Um, deploying hundreds of megawatts we're deploying tens of megawatts with different companies okay um so yeah so so you actually go to the cloud provider so you would go to yeah. uh, aws or, or google Correct. or microsoft or, or even yeah. some more niche like crusoe energy with an oil and gas yeah. and say okay we've got this concept is this a logical add-on for you guys um yeah. Or I guess you could go directly to an offshore operator or anybody operating in a subsea capacity and just work directly with them. And then they tell the cloud provider that they want to use you. Correct. Exactly. So when am I hired? I just fully explained (laughs) your business model. No, I I think it's really cool. And and I'm curious, like you mentioned the carbon credit component, which which to me is pretty relevant, you know, um, in the last... That didn't mean anything to me two and a half years ago, but really in the last few years, the the concept around whether it be ESG um, yeah. or carbon credit or emissions reduction, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of buzzwords and terminology that exist. Um, yeah. And for for me, um, I'm always curious around opportunities where monetization can happen as a means of carbon reduction. So you're you're yeah. doing that. Like that's a big yeah. part of your business, it seems like today, where you're basically yeah. going in and saying, let us co-locate. You guys can get the carbon credits for this and everybody's yeah. happy. That's that's cool. Like how do you calculate what the carbon credit offset would be? Yeah, so sort of um an in the weeds calculation, but basically so for every 
I think it's every megawatt hour of um, power that we use from yeah. fossil fuel equals half a ton of carbon. Um, so let's say we're not co-located with a wind farm here and we are, we are just running off of the grid. Then um, we save about 960 tons of carbon per year. In California, nice. you get about $700 for that. So that's kind of how we ca cool. calculate it. We might, you know, it, it fluctuates. What I will say about sustainability is we have to get there, right? We, we do have to um, become more sustainable. But the way we are doing it is fucking insane. It's ridiculous because we're tricking people all the time. We are the the. I don't have a bad relationship with journalists. And right after this next like thing that I'm going to say, but I really respect journalists. But I can't get behind these like sensationalized headlines about things like carbon capture. What a waste of time. But because the government wants it to look like, well, we're doing something now. Instead of doing the right thing, but it might take five or 10 years, we're doing this now and it's great. No, it isn't. It's absolutely like one of the worst things that we can do. And the other thing is like just renewables by themselves. Yes, we can generate quite a lot of um, power or energy, but you can't get it. There, attenuation exists and storage, storage challenges exist. So like you have to have this respect for the reality and where we are right now, which we absolutely do not have. And that is then like amplified by the media not telling us the truth because it's extremely hard to go into the technical components of renewables and carbon capture and understand the math if you don't have that background. And it's not sexy to talk about. So even if I want to talk about that to someone, they're not willing to listen because you because you're talking in numbers and like mm. that's the the best way to present it. But it's not the sexiest way to present it. So I have a huge issue with our current like landscape, how we're presenting to people. And the other thing is, and I promise you, you can have a word in a minute. But like the other thing is, our reliance on oil and gas instead of going down. In the last 20 years it's gone up our dependency has. has gone up and there's four yep. things like these four modern pillars of society that we absolutely cannot or will not do without steel how are you going to build your houses how are you going to build your buildings everything else we use steel for yep. cement yep. not going to happen ammonia will have to will literally half the world's population will die because fossil fuels equal ammonia and we need that for our crops. We we have to synthesize ammonia. We don't have enough to grow crops for the eight or nine billion people on the planet. So, like, who do you want to kill off first? So there's that. That's a little sensationalized item. Um, and then the fourth one is like plastics, fossil fuel dependent. So when you go into hospital, what do you want to be touching? What like because your bed, the mattresses have a like fossil fuel dependency the iv bags everything everything touches oil and gas and instead of talking about that instead of saying to people giving them a chance to be rational about it saying here's what we depend on here's how long the transition will really take by the way it took us about 100 years to get from our you know wood and coal burning to where we are now we're not going to be able to do this in 20 years instead of saying that to people we say Oh well, don't worry about it. We'll capture the we'll, we'll capture the carbon. It's insane. Yeah. 
okay, we'll return to this soapbox <laughs> later. <laughs> but that's how I feel about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I have these conversations a lot um, just in terms of what does the energy transition look like? And it's it's hard for yeah. me to answer that question because to me, and I know this is something that Digital Wildcatters talks about a lot too, is it's really energy addition. I mean, mm-hmm. that there's nothing to transition when you're increasing the usage of the the current sources of electricity. That's just yeah. the reality of it. So yeah. um, we have to find new ways for all energy. And I've said this on this podcast before too, my house is located in an incredibly sunny area. I have solar panels all over my roof. To me, yeah. it's making the most of where energy is available in all forms. And I think yeah. that's the approach that, generally speaking, people need to take. But mm-hmm. again, off of my soapbox now as well. <laughs> well, there's like something else to be said. So I don't, there's this um, like dichotomy that companies are responsible for some of the emissions and we are responsible for others. But actually, it's not really worth the categorization, I don't think. For instance, I drive a car, but a company made that car. If you look at the supply chain and how much just CO2 and other gases are involved in that, it's one thing. But here's the other thing. We underprice our like commodities and we we underprice our resources, water being the worst mm. victim, and also yeah. oil and gas. Yeah. I shouldn't be able to drive a truck. Like I, I shouldn't be able to afford to do that. But I can because the fuel is underpriced. So either we need a, we need to increase our the the cost it is to buy because then our, the incentives become aligned. People shouldn't be driving the. And I know like this is not a popular opinion, but we shouldn't be driving these SUVs if you're one person. Like. Get a smart car. Now there's a different aspect. Oh, of this, there's, is, there's the, uh, there's the European, there's the European in her coming out. We should why you guys have all these big trucks. No, it's just but, America. No, we but, always want something bigger. Oh, I know. But but all of us do. We're all grown in size. But but aside from that, so like I don't want to fight with people over their size of cars. I really don't because <laughs> what the companies could do is they can make the engines more fuel efficient, which yeah. is far better than what we're doing with electric vehicles. Electric vehicles are not are not that the answer here for so many reasons. One, when you charge it, most likely you're charging it with fossil fuel. So yeah. like, or coal. What? <laughs> or coal, yeah. And here's the other thing, like, and I don't know if your audience is going to be so like turned off by this these technicalities, but when you drive your car, if it's an SUV or a smart car, it doesn't matter, right? You drive it, the fuel gets consumed and it sort of comes out the back yeah. um, and it gets lighter. That doesn't happen in an electric car. It it's, keeps its same weight the whole time. So the lower you are on battery, the the more battery power it has to use because the load is heavy. Yeah. So then you're charging more than I'm fueling because your car stays the same weight. Now, is that like, it's a silly point of view. It kind of doesn't matter, but it's just something else to think about. No, it's fascinating. And you're, you're making me think I'll probably have to sit around and think all weekend now. Thank you, Max. <laughs> really appreciate that. Um, live a life, just live one day in my life. It never stops. The chatter yeah. never stops. Yeah. Well, I like it. You're, you're touching a lot of different parts of, of, you know, both, both energy, um, you know, the, the, uh, have to understand the carbon market, have to understand the subsea space, have to understand the data space, have to fundamentally understand oil and gas and energy as a whole. So, it's cool. I, I think you have unique insight um, 
for this. In terms of like the way that you look at at oil and gas, since this is mm-hmm. an oil and gas centric um, podcast, do you feel like your growth opportunity is substantially within the oil and gas space, or what other types of companies, is it maritime industries and verticals, will you see your most significant growth? I think in order to care about growth for my company, I have to want and try to create an ecosystem that is not dependent on any one sector. Like my goal here as CEO, the vision is to have like a very large ecosystem with subsea cable providers, um, subsea asset owners, wind farm owners. At some point we'll get to tidal, at some point we'll get to, you know, offshore solar, things like that. So um, it's sort of, instead of, there's there's this um, economy of scale, I guess, um, that that exists for us, and, and we have to we have to care about it all. Um, so yeah. So it's it's diversification. That's going to be your key yeah. to growth. It Correct. Like. Yeah. yeah, you're hired. You're good at this. You can just sum up all the things that I like succinctly or non succinctly see. Yeah, so I'm not like a particularly smart person, but I think everybody yeah, right. has uh, like, you know, their own superpowers, right? Yeah, and and I think yeah. one of one of my superpowers, and I'm going to pat myself on the back right here, is that <laughs> I can take fairly complex concepts and then yeah. explain them in a way that a layman would understand it, I think in part because I'm a layman. So it takes me a while to say, okay, what exactly are you saying? What does this do? And then just yeah. enough life experience and I can be like, okay, it's this. Because so many times I've been taught things in my life, even oil and gas, it took me a long time to really understand the whole oil and gas ecosystem and the concepts because it wasn't really taught to me in a yeah. way that was digestible. Eventually yeah. I started to figure it out and I think, okay, how can I explain a very complex engineering centric technical industry <laughs> To somebody who really knows nothing about it other than putting oil and gas, you know, uh, getting an oil change and, and putting, um, you know, gasoline into their vehicle. So yeah. so understanding like, okay, it wasn't necessarily explained to me in a way that I could digest it immediately. I mm-hmm. want people to be able to take the Cliff's notes of really what it is and yeah. then how deep they want to go from there is kind of up to them. So Honestly, I, you know. Yeah. I think it's genius. It's such a life skill because you can be the smartest person in the room. You could be able to do every calculation. You could be a yeah. physicist. It doesn't matter if you can't explain it. Then it just exists in your head and that's just no good. So I, I really appreciate that brand of smartness because it huh. really is smart. Well, thank you. And now I guess since I'm making this, this is my podcast, so I make it about <laughs> myself. Sometimes both my parents are teachers. My dad's a retired professor. My mom is an elementary school art teacher. So mm-hmm. I think I probably learned from them, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's take things. I mean, it, th- psychology as a whole is like incredibly difficult to fully understand and comprehend. Yeah. Right? But yeah. my dad would take these concepts and then create examples and relate it for college students in a way that they could actually yeah. understand it. One of the classes that he talked that taught that I loved, and one of the fun things about having a dad who's a professor of anything or a professor of psychology mm-hmm. was, I grew up in Plymouth, New Hampshire, and Plymouth High School was was right here, and about a half mile away was my dad's office at Plymouth State University. So sometimes after school, if I had time, or in the middle of the day, I would just walk down, and my dad would be at the chalkboard, and I'd sneak into his classroom and sit in the back. 
right? I love it. And then That's start like to pick dream. up. Yeah. And then he'd turn around and I'd, I'd raise my hand. But it was really fascinating <laughs> to see the way that he would communicate these, these relatively complicated oh, concepts yeah. and topics um, and, and still create some level of engagement. One of yeah. the classes that he created the syllabus for and taught that was always like sold out immediately or, or signed up for immediately was the psychology of film. And, and I think that's something that everybody can sort of relate to. And he, he, you know, whether it be the matrix, right. Or something he he can sort of allow people to understand themes and concepts of psychology through film. And then I think that's, that's a learning style that college kids especially appreciate, right. Versus learning from a book. Absolutely. Yeah. I was just at a conference where someone said, uh, like fashion, music, film, and I'm forgetting. There's sports? Some, like, no, it wasn't sport, although sports, talent dominant. Um, no, but basically we're saying art exists, you know, as one, but we categorize it. And I thought like, it, it was a point of consideration for me because I didn't automatically agree. I wasn't like, oh, I was like, is that true? And I've thought about it ever since, but it's so interesting to learn something through a form of art. Yeah. Was that the intention of the filmmaker? Probably not. So is this some sort of bigger than the the parts? Probably. It's just it's quite interesting. Maybe um, it was. I don't know. I tend to to think that that it probably was that there's always sort of a hidden meaning that that some of us will get and others won't. And that's maybe, the beauty yeah. of sometimes watching shows or films multiple times because you're always going to see something the second time uh, yeah. you didn't see the yes. first time. Right. It's um, funny. Which you I should- love. Me too, because uh, like I hate what I really dislike watching something new. I love watching things I've watched before, and I don't know why. It's some psychological like trauma. It's some some <laughs> flaw I have, but like I love watching things over and over again. It's weird, um, but it's sort of funny that you should see. Like you started at the top of that. You said like I'm not particularly smart, and I don't. I don't think that's true, but it kind of doesn't. But perceptions doesn't matter. So, yeah. but. From I am like I'm so intellectually what's the word? Not fearful. Uh there's a word for it. You're gonna have to edit this. So like intellectually <laughs> no, <way>. no, we're <laughs> rolling with this. Oh no. Intellectually fearless? No, not fearless. I am uh, intimidated is the right word. Really? So, unbelievably so. Like that, I read a book a week. Every week I read a book because I read 50 pages a day. It's self-discipline. It's not smart. Good for you. But like I do that because I'm so intellectually just intimidated. And this is this is going to sound shitty and it's not. So I'll fix it once I've said it. Normally not by women, mainly by men because women I have a shorthand with. If they're smart, I'm like, yes, a smart woman or like, and again, my perception, you might be smart and I might not recognize that time. But if I recognize that you're smart, then I want to be around to you for sure. And I've yeah. got a shorthand with you psychologically, like, you know, your gender, gender to gender is like, there's something important there. Then with men, if I think you're smart, I can get a little bit quiet and it's really strange. I don't know why I have it. Um, but that is why I strive to be informed and know things down to the last detail. Like I can tell you exactly like we've 
we're pumping out about 4 billion tons of crude oil. And we, that, that means that like that's 5 billion cubic meters. And globally, we've got 30 billion tons of CO2 and we're about to put that underground. But So we're going to put double the amount of CO2 underground as storage than we are pumping up oil. There's mm. no reason for me to know that. There's no reason for me to recite that to you. But I know it because I'm so anxious about being caught out not knowing something. It's a real challenge. So... I like that. I mean, yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, to bring it, you know, I'm a sales guy, right? That's sort of yeah. been my, my career path and training. And, and uh, I, one of the things that I do that I really enjoy, one of my friends is actually a sales professor um, at Bentley University in Massachusetts. And he has probably about a dozen or so different sales leaders or entrepreneurs that are kind of sales centric, um, speak to his college kids every semester. And he always asks me, it's a huge honor and I love to do it. And and the questions that the students ask, they're very prepared. You know, they did their research. They looked at my profile. They looked at my website. Mm-hmm. They did their background, their homework. I yeah. love it. And and they'll come in, and and they're they're generally like very authentic and and vulnerable. I feel like in the questions, and in the last one that I presented, probably about a month and a half ago, something like that. Um, one of the students, it was a young woman, she's probably twenty twenty one years old. She said. How do you, like, I'm just generally kind of a nervous person. I don't like speaking in front of large groups. Like, how do you, do you have any advice for me on how I can not be as nervous when I'm going in and presenting to an audience? And I said, and especially if I'm trying to sell them something, now you're adding like a whole nother layer layer of nervousness. Yeah. (laughs) And I I was like, you know... (laughs) I think it's a couple things, right? Experience is going to help you just doing more and more of it. You're going to start to to view these situations as as more comfortable um, versus mm-hmm. just intimidating, anxiety-inducing, and challenging. But even more than that, like, what are you worried about? You're worried about getting called out and not having an answer to a question, yeah, right? And looking like you're a fool and losing all the respect and credibility of everybody that you're actually trying to do business with in that room. <laughs> so to bring it back to what you said, Maxie, how do you get rid of some of that fear or some of that you know, fraud or whatever you want to say? Yeah. It, it's really having as many of the answers as possible <laughs> and then understanding if you don't have that answer that you can go it's ask okay. somebody else who does, yes. right? That it's okay. Yeah. But that took so much time. To be able to figure out, right? But truthfully, yeah. like it, as researched as you are, you still know you're not going to have the answer to everything. And sometimes just that no, acceptance no, no. is okay. And like, I have like a brand of this intellectual intimidation that is sort of, it's, it's there, but it's slightly adjacent. So I can say, if you asked me a question in a casual, casual conversation, and I have to say, I don't know, I'm actually okay with that. Yeah, It's that you and I could sit down you know what oh god this is like therapy as we sit down as i sit down with a man i can't explain this i automatically feel like you're equal now if i see something and then it's wrong or i don't know something that you know does that make me not your equal so it's probably around there but you know it actually never happened to me i don't but it's it's such a fear so it's it's so if you ask me who i was at the start you know i'm this I'm just 
<laughs> barely getting through life. But um, it's oh, so wait, all of us. Are, all of us. Are, I know. Right? I mean, I that, that's that, I, I really like that you're that you are vulnerable and, and open and really genuine in, in this discussion. And I would also just say to you, like you're not only an entrepreneur, you're a female and you're somebody who's figured out like very complex challenging concepts, whether it be cybersecurity, subsea, cloud data, um, that people will probably be intimidated actually talking to you. It's most likely going to go to gonna go in the other direction. Yeah. Right. Which is which is probably wild for you to hear, but but it's the truth. Um, and I have a great deal of respect for what you've built because it's a lot of stuff that I can't really even wrap my mind around, um, let alone, you know, okay, how do you program an, an ROV to go, you know, yeah. deep to the, <laughs> the bottom of a body of water to go fix uh, an electrical issue with a cloud-based data search. It's insane. The, the concept is insane. <laughs> and I give you a lot of credit for going after it. Like, Good for you. Thank you. You know, um, I have, of all of the things I have, and I, I would love for people to understand what it is so that they can sort of cultivate it in themselves too, some people at least. Um, I have like a very high self-actualization. If I can do yeah. something, then I will just do it. Like that's sure. my, that's my, I guess, ethos in life. If I can do it, then I will do it because why wouldn't I? Um, and, and I hope, I, it's so, I'm so glad not that many people are like me. The world be fucking chaos but i'm so happy <laughs> that i get the enjoyment i get out of life because of those thought patterns i love it i love it so so f- final question for you i said 45 minutes of course we're going yeah. past 45 minutes because you're you're a fun one um here's <laughs> Here, here's a question, right? So, so you're, you're technical, right? And I think part mm-hmm. of your strength is, is taking ideas and actually executing on them. Do you have any advice either for your younger self or, or other entrepreneurs that create a concept, right? And, and a technical solution and actually turning that into a business? Like, like how, how do you look at that? Because it's one thing yeah. to have an idea. Everybody has ideas, but actually turning it into a profitable, revenue-generating, viable business. Hmm. Like some of your learnings, any thoughts, any advice you'd have to some of our yeah. younger entrepreneurs here? For anyone, you, you're right. We all have ideas. I've had some good ones and some bad ones. The thing for me in business is you have to be solving a problem, and that problem should matter, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the way to think that. about it and and that's i'm not belittling okay so so for instance i just put my hair up into a band and that band's going to snap bits of my hair i don't care but someone out there does care about their hair so they're going to make a band hopefully one day that doesn't snap here great snap. so your problem you know how it weighs on you how you see that problem i don't think it's a problem i'm never going going to try to solve that I think data is a huge problem and here's a solution to it. So so find the problem that you care about that, that matters and solve it. And and then what I would say about building a company is there's no much like parent, parenting, there's actually no like blueprint. There's no manual that comes with it. So for, for sure. me, what I've like distilled or reduced it down to is I am a problem solver. That is my job. So I have a solution, the problem, 
is like, how do I get people to adopt it? And and I go with that. And then there's these tiny other problems just within the big problem, but it's just constant problem solving. If you can't mm. do that, if you don't like doing that, then it might be really hard for you. But honestly, viewing it that way is very helpful. Find the find the goal, go towards that by solving problem by problem. Like that's the secret. Love it. Love it. Maxie, where, where can people find you? What's your website? Do you have any social media pages you want to direct people to? Things like that. I have LinkedIn and I'm fairly active on there um, because I've got to keep up with those pesky men on there who are running the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, so LinkedIn for sure. I just recently created a Twitter. Um, I think it's like I think it's like underscore Maxi or something like that. I don't know. Okay. I'm not active on there, so I probably wouldn't bother. Um, and then my site is just subseacloud.com and subseacloud.com. And we have um, like a big deployment coming up at the start of next year. So we are, instead of doing one-on-one with companies, going to, you know, insert big company name here instead of saying to them, hey, do you want to see what this looks like in your architecture to see if you want to adopt us? We're saying to 16 companies, which is because one for each rack of servers in our unit, we're saying like, come in, we're going to deploy probably around Europe, maybe New Zealand. Um, and I think we'll, we'll release, we'll make a little press release for that. Make ourselves feel a little bit important. Back to the top. Create that uh, perception, which becomes yeah. people's realities. <laughs> Maxie <laughs> Reynolds, awesome to have you on today. Really appreciate you um, being part of the Digital Wildcatters Network. Hopefully you get on some other yeah. podcasts here as well. Continue yeah. to get you some exposure for what you're doing since it's super cool, it's super creative, and it's super techie. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, enjoyed getting to know you better. Thank you for coming on, for everybody listening, especially our oil and gas audience, anybody offshore, subsea cloud check them out. Thanks, Max. Thank you so much. Thank you.